Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 86, recorded on the 10th of September 2018. On this podcast, we discuss the recent technology news stories and feature interviews with interesting entrepreneurs and investors from across the continent. My name is Andrei Degeler. I am a journalist at Tech.eu, based in Amsterdam, currently in Berlin, attending the EIC Innovator Summit. Today, I'm joined by Natalie Novik, our research analyst and feature writer. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Andrei. How are you doing? Great. It's a perfect day here in Edinburgh. Right. Yeah, it's not that bad in Berlin as well. Wouldn't call it really perfect, but it's not raining, which is already a big plus. Definitely. If you hear certain echo from me, that is because uh, the conference is actually held at the place that's called uh, Station Berlin, and that is an actual train station, which means that every single room in here is uh, very cavernous and uh, sounds like an echo chamber. So I hope you will excuse me for this. So today we are going to talk about the most interesting news stories from the past week. And we also have two pre-recorded interviews, uh, one courtesy of uh, our founding editor, uh, Robin Wouters, who has not been able to join us for this recording. And the other one is uh, from myself. Uh, Robin will talk with uh, Julia Schoppa from Startup Poland about uh, how the country's ecosystem is doing. And uh, my recording is a conversation with uh, Jakob de year, the co-founder and CEO of the Swedish unicorn iZettle, which was recently acquired by PayPal. At the end of the podcast, we will also talk about events that are coming up a little bit and recommend you a few things to read and listen to. So let us start with uh, the news stories uh, of the past week. And the first one coming up is the, the Icelandic game developer CCP Games, which created Eve Online, has been acquired by a Korea-based Pearl Abyss for $425 million. That's actually a lot. And this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest acquisition deal for an Iceland-founded uh, tech company. Natalie, do you play Eve Online or any other MMORPG? No, I, not anymore. But I'm patiently awaiting Civ Six is coming out on Switch, so I'm I'm waiting out for that one. Right. Well, yeah, I used to actually play Eve Online just a little bit, so maybe for a few weeks, and I also used to play World of Warcraft a lot, so kind of understand the appeal of the game. And uh, the interesting thing about this acquisition of a company which uh, has been operating for many, many, many years as an, as an indie uh, independent uh, developer is that uh, Pearl Abyss is the company behind another MMORPG called Black Desert Online. And uh, MMORPG, by the way, is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. So basically one of those games where sometimes millions of people would log in simultaneously and uh, play in one world. So this uh, MMORPG from uh, Pearl Abyss called Black Desert Online has more than 10 million players across the world. And EVE Online, which it has acquired, uh, has probably under 500,000. It doesn't really publish any data on the player base, so these calculations are speculative and based on the uh, server monitoring system that shows the number of logged-in accounts. But I think it's pretty accurate. It's most probably having uh, fewer than 500,000 uh, players in total. Because uh, EVE Online's been around for quite a long time. It's been around uh, since like early 2000s, if not uh, late 90s. And it has evolved a lot. And uh, its latest expansion, uh, by the way, that was released in May uh, this year, it was called Into the Abyss. So I'm kind of not sure whether the pun was intended or not. But now on Reddit, a lot of people think that uh, the abyss is going to be pretty uh, uh, literal. So Eve's uh, Reddit uh, uh, channel has exploded. 
as it uh, usually happens uh, when this kind of news breaks. And a lot of people who play uh, both games, uh, Black Desert Online and EVE Online, say that EVE Online will die if uh, Pearl Abyss uh, brings the pay-to-win uh, mechanics uh, from uh, Black Desert Online. So basically the idea is that uh, you cannot do a lot of things in EVE Online for money that would bring you closer to your game in-game goals. While at uh, Black Desert Online, it's supposedly uh, not the case, and the players are quite afraid that uh, these changes are going to come to their uh, favorite game. So, But here is what uh, Pearl Abyss uh, CEO, uh, Robin Jung, told VentureBeat in an interview. I'm going to read it. Uh, CCP Games will operate as an independent studio. We currently have no plans to restructure the company in any way. So Pearl Abyss uh, uh, says that nothing is going to change. And he also said uh, that CCP has done an incredible job of engaging and maintaining its community of players, which we will learn a lot from and hope to integrate natively into Pearl Abyss's general practices across all of our games moving forward. And that's actually true, and uh, EVE's uh, player base is extremely loyal and extremely engaged, even though it's much smaller than that of Black Desert Online. And CCP games, they are also well known for paying a lot of attention uh, to what their players want, and that's probably one of the reasons, actually, why its uh, user base is so loyal. It could be, though, uh, I think that uh, the deal will result in a bigger outcome uh, for the players uh, because the CCP Games uh, seems to have struggled recently with its attempts to branch off from uh, EVE Online. It uh, published a few VR titles and uh, even released a shooter for the PlayStation 3. Uh, but none of these games actually became hugely popular. Well, I don't. I didn't even know about uh, all these efforts uh, before I read uh, uh, the news story uh, a couple of days ago. And last October, uh, the company said that it will stop its VR experiments altogether for a couple of years and close down two offices that were mainly uh, working on uh, on the VR titles. But now with the money from uh, Pearl Abyss, uh, CCP Games can actually focus on EVE Online, uh, which could be a good thing after all. So within the next, I think, year, year and a half, we're going to see whether anything really changes for the company uh, and the game. But uh, anyway, I think, Natalie, if you want to try uh, EVE Online, now is probably a good time uh, before it changes uh, for better or worse. So, so right now is time to get hooked on the game that might no longer be there in the future. Well, it might, it might be your last chance to see it uh, the way it is. Yeah, it's a hard choice when you have a community of people that is so dedicated to your product. It really limits how much room you have to maneuver. Um, and sometimes when, when you make that sale, that choice is taken out of your hands for you. Yeah, and I must say that this community is very opinionated. Like when you read uh, what uh, what people write about the prospects of uh, the game and the company and how they would want to see it and what they think will happen after the acquisition, it, it's pretty pretty impressive. Uh, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Well, but in any case, it's it's great news for Iceland and their gaming ecosystem there. In any case. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. This is this is a big success, and uh, this is kind of a seal of excellence for the country and uh, its uh, ecosystem. So, speaking about the ecosystems, it's time for our first uh, pre-recorded interview, and uh, I will give the floor to our founding editor uh, Robin Wouters, uh, who recorded and uh, an interview uh, with Julia uh, Schopa from uh, Startup Poland. Hey, this is uh, Robin Walters from Tech.eu, and I'm here in Gdansk in Poland, uh, where I'm attending the InfoShare conference, and I'm sitting now with Julia from Startup Poland. Uh, so, Julia, please introduce yourself, and what is Startup Poland? Hi, Robin. My name is Julia Schapa. Uh, I'm the president of the board at Startup Poland. And Startup Poland is a the biggest technology think tank uh, in Poland. Our goal is to promote the best regulatory and business practices so that uh, we see more and bigger startups growing in Poland. 
Um, obviously, there's a lot happening in Poland. Like in most other European countries, the startup ecosystem is really developing. But I have to say, I also don't know a lot of the specifics about um, the industry here, uh, how fast it's growing. Do you have any specialties? Like what are the big startups? So give me a, a brief like introduction to the Polish startup ecosystem, I guess. Okay, high-level overview of the Polish startup ecosystem. So first of all, Polish startup ecosystem is pretty young. I think we can talk about the ecosystem for like... 15 years, maybe. And the same uh, refers also to venture capital scene, which is very important for the ecosystem because the VC guys are the ones who uh, invest and finance the whole uh, game. So uh, the most uh, popular uh, sectors where startups in Poland grow uh, are big data, uh, artificial intelligence, analytics, and marketing technology. FinTech is also pretty strong, uh, especially that uh, the, you know, the banking system in Poland is very uh, well developed. So there is a lot of corporate demand for innovations and new solutions. So you know, naturally, startups who are doing something in the fintech space have their clients here. But when it comes to uh, financing of uh, startups in the ecosystem, uh, also the industry is very young. So the venture capital, um, uh, you know, the general partners of the venture capital funds here locally in Poland, Uh, they are not that experienced yet. So I like to talk about uh, you know, the history uh, of, of Poland and also how it compares to, say, Silicon Valley, which is you know, the mythical place where startups go to raise funding. And in 1987, when Cisco uh, was raising their, uh, I think, like five million round from Sequoia in Poland, people were you know, just thinking where it makes sense to introduce democracy. So... Okay. You know, like nobody is talking about startups back then. And only 30 years later, we can really hear in Poland, uh, in Gdańsk, which, you know, is a historical place also, and it comes to this transition, we can talk about startups, venture capital, you know, uh, returns on investments and so on. So you always need to take into account that what folks in Silicon Valley have is knowledge uh, and know-how gathered through about like 70 years of existence. Here in Poland, it's only just studying. Right. Great. Uh, well, it's a great answer. Uh, and obviously, I see a lot of the, the, the same things in, in other yeah. um, economies. Um, but Poland does have an edge when it comes to technical talents. Um, I don't think that's much of a secret. Everyone knows that you have a lot of technically skilled people. Um, do you have enough startups? Though? Do you have enough people with an entrepreneurial mindset that can leave you know, big corporates or outsourcing firms uh, and do their own thing? Is, that, is there a mindset here for entrepreneurial? I think it even is a pattern or it starts becoming a pattern because uh, each year at Startup Poland, we do the annual startup report project. So we, uh, you know, we survey startups about what do you do, how many people do you hire and so on and so on. And we see that more and more startups are actually founded by folks who are in their 30s and 40s compared to, say, three years ago when it was mostly uh, folks in their 20s. And most of them today also have some corporate uh, background or serial entrepreneurship background. So they're not first-timers uh, when it comes to business. And this is good and bad. It's good because these guys and girls uh, are more experienced and they have better understanding of what business is like, you know, who to sell their products, services to. They are more mature when it comes to thinking about exits and the whole you know, strategy of developing the, uh, the startup. But also what we are a little bit anxious about is where do we get the new uh, 20-something starting uh, their startups from? Because as you said, of course, Poland is very, it's not just Poland, I mean, it's the whole Central Eastern Europe. It has a very good tradition of um, mathematical education, logic, you know, computer science and so on. Um, but the entrepreneurial mindset is not very common in the post-Soviet uh, countries. So this is something that we need to, that we, we struggle with. And, but but uh, thankfully, there's a lot of organizations uh, in Poland that have this goal of um, you know, stimulating or, or promoting entrepreneurial mindset among young people. So, no, there are people who are taking care of this. Great. Um, geographically speaking, what are the regions in Poland where most of the action is uh, mm -hmm. taking place? Is it Krakow? Is it Warsaw? Is it Gdańsk? Is it everywhere? Where is it happening? Mm -hmm. uh, there are hubs. So we also see most of the startups uh, are concentrated in Warsaw, so the capital city. But then Wrocław, uh, in, uh, next to the German border, uh, is also a big hub, uh, especially when it comes to software houses. 
And also, you know, when you uh, drive a car uh, around Wrocław, you see these big billboards with hashtag IT jobs and uh, we are hiring. Uh, so you see that there's a lot of uh, demand for uh, developers uh, down there. Then, of course, Krakow. Krakow is very strong in the Internet of Things. And new hubs that are also growing is Łódź, uh, which is a, a city, uh, I think it's the third biggest city in Poland, uh, very close to Warsaw, around 100 kilometers. And Łódź will be the first city in Poland next year that will have the uh, 5G um, uh, technology implemented. It's going to be the first 5G city in the country. So obviously, you know, in cooperation with uh, Ericsson and the Wood Special um, Economic Zone, we will see uh, quite a few 5G or IoT startups uh, that will make use of it. That's really great. Um, so we've talked about mindset. We've talked about you know having to catch up in terms of history and the VC problem. Uh, what else is like? What are some of the challenges that you face as an ecosystem today that you wish you could solve tomorrow? Wow. Uh, if it was just you know just 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 my uh, very subjective perspective, uh, I would like to solve the um, problem of lack of business maturity among the first-time founders. So. At a Polish school, you didn't learn, you know, the basics of taxes or the basics of finance. I mean, of course, it's not just Poland. I mean, in the States, you also didn't learn it. Uh, but I think a lot of people here uh, who start their companies, they don't really understand the mechanics of business and they don't have anybody to learn it from. And it's also due to the fact that this is knowledge that, you know, typically is shared between generations. So if your uncle, you know, had had like a, I don't know, like a department store or a factory, like your uncle would probably tell you some basics. Like, hey, Robin, you know, when you hire people, remember about this and that. And in Poland, there's this generational gap because during 50 years of communism, there was no entrepreneurship. I mean, it was like illegal to be an entrepreneur. So we don't have parents who, who, who speak this language. So you kind of need to um, wait a little bit until the ones who started their careers, entrepreneurial careers in the 90s, grow up or, you know, retire and uh, have finally time to train and, and uh, coach the, the new generation of people. Right. And as with everything that takes time, you can't really accelerate yeah. that. Um, how important is a conference like InfoShare uh, or Wolf Summit is another mm-hmm. one, example, but how important is it to have these big internationally focused mm-hmm. uh, tech events in Poland? So um, it is very important to have these international events. However, if I were to give some feedback to the organizers of uh, international conferences in Poland is that, you know, you have these, uh, um, like everything is in English, right? The name is in English. You have uh, uh, foreign guests, but then still it talks keep place in Polish. And I think it's like a big um, mindset problem that here in Poland, we are very afraid just speaking English. And this also, you know, it makes the communication between the outside world and us uh, more difficult because you need somebody to, you know, an interpreter, somebody to translate what we're talking about. So I think these conferences are extremely important when, especially when it comes to networking and, and building business relationships between people. But they still should be more international in terms of the language spoken and uh, be like just more open to people who are not just speakers or the you know media celebrities like yourself, uh, but also just to random guests who who come here to see what's happening. Yeah, I think that's really good feedback. And I'm going to do you a favor. I was going to do my talk in Polish, but I'll do it in English instead. <laughs> uh, Julia, thank you so much, and uh, best of luck uh, with Startup Poland. Thank you so much for having. And we're back to our podcast, uh, Tech.eu podcast uh, number 86. Uh, We are back to the most interesting news of the past week. And now this is Natalie's turn to tell us uh, more about uh, the acquisition of uh, Relayer. Yeah, so last week we learned that the Berlin-based IoT platform Relayer um, has just been acquired by Munich Re, an insurance group from I guess you can probably uh, guess uh, Munich for 300 million uh, US dollars. So this deal acquires 100% of the company, which is a, a pretty bright spot in the Berlin tech ecosystem. Last month, they were named by Wired as one of the hottest startups in Berlin. And it's a very, it's a very cool company. They got their roots back in 2013, um, and they have a, a great European story, soon traveling to startup boot camps, Amsterdam, Accelerator. And they're notable for starting off with a hardware kit 
that came in the shape of a candy bar. Uh, you might remember it. Uh, it was called the Wunderbar. And it was a, a really neat crowdfunded project and allowed users to easily homebrew their own IoT applications by simply breaking off a piece that could be applied to just about anything. And they got a lot of press, but they've come a long way since then. And from there, Relayer has refocused and has gone on to do some great things, concentrating on industrial IoT applications, which is a huge necessity in the German market, considering that much of the German Mittelstand is not connected to the cloud. So since their founding, Relayer has raised just over 66 million US dollars and the acquisition continues their partnership with Munich Re, um, who led their Series B funding round in 2016. So the new purchaser has some really big plans for Relayer, and the partnership aims to help Relayer advance the product offering and move into further risk management, data analysis, and financial applications. We can look forward that Relayer won't be leaving Berlin and the company will continue to be operated independently in order to maintain their distinct company culture. So great news for Berlin and their ecosystem there. Yeah, for sure. That's That kind of uh, seems to be a pretty big uh, turn in general uh, for Relayer from, uh, for a company starting from the Wunderbar and now going into risk management, data analysis, and financial applications, something so grown up. Yeah, it, it's, it is kind of, it does show a bit of the trajectory of some of these Berlin companies that, that started from somewhere very different, but have become so much more professionalized over the years. I think it follows a trend um, that we've been seeing elsewhere. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, speaking of trends uh, and uh, success stories, it is time for our second pre-recorded interviews. And this time it's going to be uh, my conversation uh, with uh, Jakob de Geer, as I said at the beginning, uh, the CEO and co-founder of uh, iZetto, a company that uh, made some ripples uh, earlier this year uh, after being acquired by PayPal for $2.2 billion. So this is a pretty big success story for uh, Europe, a very big success story for Sweden. And uh, let us uh, hear from the man in the lead about what exactly has happened and what is going to happen in the future. Hello, uh, this is Andre Degler from Tech.eu, recording in Amsterdam at uh, Forbes Under 30 Summit. And today I have a chance to uh, talk to uh, Jakob de Geer, uh, the co-founder and CEO of IZETO. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, probably in Dutch. At least. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that's what I did. So thanks a lot for uh, joining me today. Uh, can you please uh, start with uh, like one minute introduction of yourself and what you've done so far in your career? Sure. So I'm Jacob de Geer. I'm probably more well known for starting uh, iSettle back in 2010. But prior to that, I did three other startups, uh, one called Trade Doubler, an advertising solution that we launched in '99. And then uh, two other ventures, and then eventually uh, leading up to to I settled back in two thousand and ten. Right, uh, were those uh, startups successful that you founded before that? Yeah, Trade Double was very successful. I, I think uh, we were one of the sort of leading affiliate marketing solutions back in the days, and uh, I think at our peak we we probably tracked in the area of 10% of the total European e-commerce. So, so pretty successful, listed the company in 2005 and very close to getting sold to or acquired by Time Warner AOL in 2006. That didn't happen. But market cap at that point somewhere around 650 million euros. So. Right, yeah, that probably counts. Decent. <laughs> so it's been almost four months uh, since the news broke uh, that IZAD was being acquired uh, by uh, PayPal. Uh, what uh, what has happened so far since the since the news? Actually, uh, not not too much in the sense that the deal uh, was signed uh, roughly four months ago, as you correctly said, and and now we're waiting for closing sometime during during Q three. Uh, as always with these types of sort of bigger deals, there are some some things you need to uh, finalize in terms of uh, authorities approvals, etc. So that's what we're waiting for, and uh, and uh, again, um, as we previously stated, we expect the deal to to close during Q3. So still another couple of weeks. 
uh, what has changed for your own daily life at work? No, but not much. Uh, I mean, the, until until the deal is actually closed, the, the two companies continue to work uh, as separate entities in, in parallel. So we run our business as a standalone company and PayPal run their business. So, so far, uh, not too much has happened apart from... from uh, Sort of some obvious discussions on on what what will potentially take place uh, after after close, but we we you know we can't go too much into to to the details at this point since uh, you know we're still still owned by ourselves pretty much. Right. Uh, so was it uh, and uh, just to remind uh, uh, the listeners, the news about the acquisition came on the heels of another news story that uh, yeah. was about to file for uh, for an IPO. How hard was it to choose between getting going public and uh, getting acquired? Yeah, so it was pretty hard. Um, but to put it into context, I mean, we had prepared for a listing for roughly, you know, a year and a half, making sure that we, we had all, all our ducks in a row and, come, you know, listing a company is, <laughs> is a big deal and everything has to to be in order and, and correct, everything from reporting to organizational structures to board structures, etc. So we've been uh, working with that for roughly a year and a half. And, I mean, since inception, we have turned down several um several uh, you know potential acquisitions um or being acquired by by different companies because you know you don't start a company to sell it but rather to pursue your mission and, and live that type of dream and uh, you know less than 10 days before before uh, before I started setting up the prospectus basically uh, for the listing taking place uh, you know roughly three weeks later um, this discussion started taking place. Um, so, I mean, from that perspective, it was a pretty hard decision, uh, obviously, since we were only 10 days away from, 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 from listing. Right. Uh, from the perspective of how hard was the decision once we you know, crossed the sort of financial hurdles and those things, well, uh, it, was, it was hard, but not as hard as one one could potentially think because having met with the PayPal CEO, Dan Schulman and his leadership team, um, understanding how very much aligned the two companies are in terms of vision and, and focus and what we want to do um, going forward, you know, it became extremely clear that we were, we, you know, we were pursuing the same kind of mission and vision. Uh, and and uh, joining forces with PayPal would effectively only give ISIL sort of superpowers to take us closer to to reaching our vision much faster compared to what we could do as a standalone business. So, one of the headlines I remember seeing after the news broke was that so how come that the European startups just cannot resist uh, being sold to uh, their US competitors? Uh, do you think there's a pattern here at all? Uh, obviously, there's a pattern, <laughs> I, I think. Um, I mean, historically, it has had to do with, uh, you know, access to, to uh, significant growth capital being much more significant in the U.S. compared to, to in Europe. Also, the pricing of, of uh, these types of companies is still, you, you get paid much better from, from the U.S. perspective compared to the European perspective. Uh, so I think there there are lots of things that has had an influence over over that development. Um, yeah. Do you expect uh, after the deal is closed and some time uh, has passed? Do you expect to see something that would be like Isaiah Mafia, like we have PayPal Mafia, we have smaller Skype Mafia in Estonia? Would you believe that? Uh, mafia being people from, from the company setting up new businesses. Yes, and, they and, exactly. uh, uh, Just want to make sure what, what kind of mafia we're talking about. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I expect. I mean, historically what we've seen, or at least what I've seen in the companies that I've been involved in and also from the Swedish sort of tech scene, you see that you know, companies that are being built and people that are being part of that journey and uh, sort of experience all the ups and downs and the roller coaster ride of building a company uh, in combination with some of those people getting out of, of, of building those businesses with 
money that gives them sort of uh, flexibility and certain independence from from having a regular salary and taking a real day job uh, or more traditional day job. Um, those people tend to be more dairy and and uh, go out and pursue sort of their own vision and dream. And some of those they some some of those people they they make it uh, based on their previous experience and based on the fact that they have uh, bigger economic freedom. So that's definitely what what I expect and what I hope for, and it's part of the reason why this kind of journey is so so exciting. So, but would you have any trouble as a as the leader uh, to lose uh, these people to uh, these entrepreneurial ventures? I mean, it's it's part of you know it's part of, of this types of companies sort of life cycle you know it always happens is something that you need to expect some people are are in it you know during the, the the early phase to you know change the world and eventually the the company reaches a new stage where you can still change the world but you know becomes more of a regular business with processes and, and you know you need to follow budgets etc you need to to make money eventually and so on and so forth and some people don't like that and leave earlier And that's already happened. I mean, it goes in, it goes in stages. And now we're at a point where we will most likely see some some people leaving eventually. Still hasn't happened, uh, but it will happen, and it's it's part of the natural sort of life cycle for this type of company. So rather embrace it than expect it. Are you going to do to go into investing yourself? Investing, mm-hmm. like early stage. Including these uh, companies uh, created by your former employees, I think time time will tell. I mean, right now I I sort of remain fully committed to to ISEL. I, I don't feel as though the journey has ended. It's sort of the beginning of something new, and I have no intention of of doing anything else in the next you know couple of years. So, you know, ISEL has developed and matured into being one of of the most successful companies of its type in the world right now. I would, you know, uh, going forward, I would really like to be part of taking, you know, myself from being one of the greatest companies in the world in in our niche to being the greatest company in the world in our niche. So that's sort of my next sort of personal talent challenge and next challenge for the company. So that's where I spend most of my time thinking about what to do next. So what's the what's the landscape you're working on is like in Europe? In what sense? Well, in terms of uh, payments, uh, payments market, your comp- competition, uh, whatever uh, stops you from becoming the greatest uh, player in the market. No, but uh, I mean, historically, we've been call it limited to to uh, growing at the pace where we could find, you know, capital, uh, venture capital, and now, uh, as I stated with 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 PayPal. Um, I think we could sort of supercharge a superpower and give, give the company superpowers in the sense that they are already present across 200 markets around the world. Just looking at our sort of merchant niche, uh, merchant segment, they already have sort of 20 million merchants uh, that we are actually looking for that we could cross sell our, our solutions to. So I think with that, it has to do with You know, we need to to uh, eventually once once we close this deal, we need to sit down and align which countries there, you know, which are their most sort of successful co- countries where where it doesn't make sense to to uh, to start cross selling first. Where should we potentially wait? Are there any more other markets outside of Europe, for example, that could be of interest? But it's still too early to tell since we 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 really haven't started sort. Of Comparing notes in that sense, since we're not yet through one one business, right? And uh, what is your take on the competition uh, coming from uh, from the east, from China, like Alipay, for example? I mean, from our perspective, we the, it, right now it's not much of competition, but you know, going forward, I think it would be highly naive not to see them as, as very strong potential competitors. Uh, for us, I mean, looking at Alipay, for example, it's a way for our merchants to to take payments primarily from from Chinese tourists at this point. Uh, so accepting Alipay at the point of sales is, you know, a way f- to to facilitate for merchants to uh, to not lose out on sales. Um, but I mean, 
obviously I think the entire world is looking at what's happening in you know in the east and and uh, I also think that you know from maturity level you know China is much considerably more advanced when it comes to sort of omnichannel how online and offline is you know 100% integrated and where consumers are much more uh, much more advanced than any sort of European or, or US consumer in how they consume, how they find deals, how they close deals, how they get things delivered, etc. So, I mean, they, they are way ahead of all of us, I would say. Is this something you want to or and expect to see happening in Europe? I think everyone is, is working to towards that goal, also in the US. I mean, this is an ecosystem. It's not like you, you just push a button and then all of a sudden things change. I mean, this is changing consumer behavior. And uh, historically, changing consumer behavior is a seven-year cycle. So, I mean, it takes time. It has started, but I mean, it won't happen overnight. But I mean, we're, we're definitely, we're, the entire world is heading in the same direction. Uh, more uh, higher seamlessness between online and offline and, and where and how and when you can actually you know, get access to, to products and services. Okay, thank you so much. This was my last question. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Jakob de Geer, co-founder and CEO of iZetto here in Amsterdam at uh, Forbes Under 30 Summit. Nice and rainy day. Thank you so much, Jakob, for joining again and uh, good luck. Thank you, Michael. And hello again. We are back to our podcast. I hope you liked uh, the interview you just heard. And the next story of the week is uh, all about scooters. And just uh, before I started uh, uh, talking about scooters, let's just make things clear. There are two types of uh, scooters, uh, two types of electric scooters, one of which is like small motorbike and the other is the push scooter. So we are talking today about push scooters, about the small thingies where the very small uh, wheels that go around and have become really hugely popular in uh, the US and particularly in California recently. So scooters are taking over the world, aren't they? Uh, Taxify uh, is launching its uh, e-scooter sharing service in Paris. And uh, if you missed it, Taxify is one of the Uber killers in Europe, and they are a very well-funded uh, company, and they are showing pretty good uh, dynamics and pretty good progress uh, over the past uh, the past years. Uh, here is what uh, Taxify CEO and co-founder Markus Willig is uh, telling TechCrunch in their news piece. One in five Taxify rides are less than three kilometers, which is the perfect distance to cover with an electric scooter. It's likely that some of our ride-hailing customers will now opt for scooters for shorter distances, but will also attract a whole new group of customers with different needs. This means we'll be able to help more people with their daily transportation problems. So this sounds pretty credible, and uh, the new scooter by Taxify is called Bolt. Uh, it will cost uh, 15 cents per minute. Uh, the minimum fare for a ride uh, would be one euro. And uh, just the same way as uh, other e-scooter startups, you just uh, come to uh, come to the scooter, you unlock it by scanning a QR code on the scooter, and you just uh, uh, ride. And every evening, Taxify will collect uh, all the scooters uh, from the city for uh, recharging. So those are coming to Paris, uh, but they are not the only ones. Uh, Lime e-scooters went live in Paris at the end of June, and about a month later, Bird's Fleet uh, did the same, rolling into Paris and uh, Tel Aviv as part of its international launch, so branching off uh, of the U.S. In addition to that, there are dockless bike providers, O-Bike, Ofo, and Mobike, uh, that are also working in Paris. So, like the whole uh, the whole city is right now just flooded uh, with all sorts of uh, shared uh, uh, two-wheel transportation modes. So e-scooters, however, might face uh, quite some issues in Europe. And first of all, that would be uh, some regulatory hurdles. Uh, because in the US, uh, uh, San Francisco city authorities already banned all the scooters, uh, all the scooter sharing companies, actually, but two. And a similar story happened in Amsterdam. We just banned all dockless bike sharing solutions uh, altogether. Although somewhere else in the Netherlands, uh, there are, uh, they, they are still 
operating, but on a smaller scale. So I'm, I live in Amsterdam myself, and uh, I do understand why the ban uh, happened, just because those uh, bikes uh, were everywhere. They were blocking the sidewalks, and some of them were just not roadworthy uh, because uh, people broke them or tried to uh, do so-called liberation. So basically, to be able to uh, ride uh, to ride for free, uh, it, it didn't work sometimes. So some of the broken bikes would be on the sidewalks. Some of the broken bikes uh, went to Amsterdam canals. So uh, even if you wanted to use this bike, it would be a kind of lottery. You just uh, uh, find the bike on the map, you come by, and then you have to see whether you're actually able to ride it or not. A similar thing, by the way, happened recently in Manchester in the UK. Uh, Mobike, uh, this uh, uh, big uh, bike operator that also works in Paris, uh, it pulls out of the city because of theft and vandalism. The company said that each month during the summer, 10% of the fleet in Manchester was destroyed or stolen. And I mean, I reckon it's even easier to steal and liberate a scooter, uh, the, the kind of uh, taxify is introduced in Paris. And uh, it's even easier to throw it in a ditch if uh, uh, something doesn't work. So I'm not really sure how well, uh, how well it's going to work. In addition to that, there's another big problem uh, because uh, uh, there is just no good place for e-scooters in uh, today's cities. Uh, on the road, including the bike lanes, it is constantly in danger of being hit uh, by the traffic, by cars or just by bicycles. If you have ever seen uh, bike traffic in Amsterdam, you would understand what I mean. And on the sidewalk, uh, the e-scooter is a danger by itself to the people around. So uh, I'm not really convinced. Uh, by the whole idea in general. But I do agree that the problem of uh, the last mile is definitely there. Uh, it's really important for people to have options uh, uh, of uh, how to get, say, from the train station to their final destination. If it's just a little bit too far to walk, but uh, not far enough to take a taxi or take public, tra public transport. So for sure, it's going to be really interesting to see how things unfold from here. But I do hope uh, that uh, these uh, e-scooters are not coming to Amsterdam anytime soon. What do you think, Natalie? Do you have a take on this? Well, I think even though you might not be convinced by e-scooters and dockless bikes, investors still are pouring lots and lots of investments into both of these last mile solutions. And in, in my case, I hope to check out the, uh, the Bolt scooters when I'm in Paris next month for the Mondial Tech, which is quite fitting because we'll be talking all about mobility there. Um, and the, the topic of bikes and bike sharing um, is very appropriate for me this week because where I live in Edinburgh, even though it's a huge tourist destination, we don't have a shared bike scheme um, where you have um, in lots of large towns in the, in the UK. But it has just been announced that we are receiving a bike sharing scheme that will be coming next week. And it has a great name or maybe not such a great name, it will be called the Just Eat Cycles. Yes, the Just Eat Cycles. Thanks to a sponsorship with the food delivery company Just Eat, the bike scheme um, <laughs> has quite a very distinctive name. Um, and the Scots have had quite a lot to say about this new announcement, and there's been some really great responses to the name, but you should search for those on Twitter. Um, they're the best ones, as you can imagine, fall into the category of not appropriate for the podcast. Um, and probably the most significant response, though, has come from the country's health lobby, who says they find it pretty incredulous that you're pairing a bike scheme with a takeaway delivery service. Um, it kind of seems counterintuitive in some ways. Well, I mean, I mean, takeaway uh, takeaway delivery is not necessarily unhealthy. Well, how how it normally arrives here um, in the UK, it tends to be. You don't you don't normally get your vegan salads delivered. It's usually a a nice fry up or a curry. Well, that's uh, that is true, but uh, yeah, but the name is hilarious. This is this this is just great. Just eat cycles. This. <laughs> This is amazing. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound too advertising to me, to be honest, but um, we've been having a lot of fun with it. So who knows how long that's going to stick around. 
It's also, but I mean, it's it's not the first time that it's branded, though, right? So, like here in Berlin, I see that they have a, a bike sponsored by Deezer, the music service. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't sound as stupid, but <laughs> no, but um, and and the sponsorship will change regularly. Um, they've promised. Um, who knows? Okay. So when are you going to have it? It's coming next week, actually. The 17th, we'll, we'll see our first Just Eats um, right on the roads. So I think there's only 200 to start with. So who knows uh, when we'll have a good chance to try it, but they'll be out there. Okay. Okay. I, w- I will try to remember to uh, go on Twitter and look for some nice uh, photos and new memes with Just Eat Cycles. Definitely. And I expect a lot of them to find their ways into the canal, especially as all the students have arrived to start the the fall term now. Okay. And uh, moving on uh, with the news stories. Uh, Now, uh, Natalie, uh, you wanted to tell us all about uh, the last uh, news with a company called Vinted. Yeah, so so Vinted is a really interesting company. And last week they announced um, very quietly, um, I'll mind you, that they've raised uh, 50 million euros um, in investment. And they have quite an interesting story about how they got there. So Vinted, as you may or may not know, they're a Lithuanian fashion swapping platform. And today they operate in nine countries. And in the U.S., in Germany, and in France are their largest markets. And they were founded in 2008. Um, It was a chance meeting by the two co-founders in the wee hours of a house party where um, the first founder had mentioned that she had spent over 90% um, of her income on clothes each each month, but often didn't have anything to wear. So it's a, a neat platform for sharing and and trading clothes. Um, And from those really early beginnings in 2008, the company was bootstrapped for a few years and then it really caught on fire. And in 2013, they raised 6 million euros from Excel Partners and another 24.8 million euros at the beginning of 2014 from a consortium of different investors, including Excel Partners and Insight Venture Partners. So the used clothing market, you might have not really thought about it, but it has a huge potential in Europe as people are increasingly turning away from fast fashion and current methods of trading clothes or selling them are pretty inefficient if you've ever tried selling something on eBay. And it's very time consuming and most of the time it's just tedious. A lot of people just end up giving their stuff away um, in the charity shop. But there there's a lot of room to do this right. And for Vinted um, had really grown as the as a premier platform um, to do this. And things are really going great for the company for a while. So the company really grew out of its Baltic roots and had opened offices in Berlin, Paris, um, San Francisco. But along the way, something had, had gone wrong. And TechCrunch did a really good article about this um, earlier this week that we'll link to in, into the, in the show notes. What was happening was the, the company was taking um, a share of each of the purchases sold online, but they just weren't making any money and they were losing traction. So in 2016, one of their investors really saw the writing on the wall and had reached out to um, Thomas Plantagna, a strategy consultant um, who was at the time based in New York. And they asked him to check out what was going on with Vinted and try to turn um, the ship around. So Thomas, uh, the story goes, came to Vilnius. And when he arrived, he said the business was completely burning down. Um, And it was kind of harsh words for for the founders, but he decided to stay on and he brought a really fresh perspective to the company, really cutting down on staff and bringing in a number of austerity measures, closing some of the offices and, and losing some key employees. But two years later, you have a complete turnaround. So now Thomas has taken on the CEO role and he's led the company to this recent investment. And this year they hope to make $500 million in sales. And I think this company is really important for a few different reasons. First, it's, it's a great story about perseverance that 
you know, being an entrepreneur is, is a tough job and you've got to keep going, um, but also to know when to ask for help. So something wasn't working and the founders and investors reached out um, to to change change the trajectory there. Um, and there's also a bit of a story about humility there that uh, you see the, the two co-founders really had to fall on their sword for the sake of the company and gave, gave up the reins a little bit to keep the company going. And today, the ownership stake of the founders and executive team is, is now below 50%. Um, but the company is still going. And it just kind of emphasizes this point that entrepreneurship is tough. Um, but it's a great example about how you can come out stronger on the other side. So I'm really looking forward to see what's in store next for Vinted. And I really hope that they can continue to grow because really finding a great platform to sell and trade, um, use clothes that's more efficient than the current solution um, is a really great um, opportunity. And um, it's a great story. Yeah, it, it it is a great story. I, I fully agree, and uh, it's really interesting how the whole the whole trouble actually kind of went under the radar. Because I always I always knew and I always treated uh, Vinted as the Baltic success story. Uh, I remember I talked to the founder a few years ago, and uh, he was always like a celebrated person, let's say, in the ecosystem. And uh, every time uh, you would ask uh, people from the Baltics and from Lithuania in particular. What are the biggest success to, success stories in the region? Uh, Vinted would always come up, and then it turns uh, turns out that at some point the company was uh, uh, not doing so well. Right, and and really those challenges had had really gone under the radar. It seems this TechCrunch story and coming alongside this investment um, really um, did kind of announce to the world. Um, it's it's great to to struggle, but to come out the other side. So I hope maybe it, it leads for some more transparency because not everything is perfect all the time. And we can learn a lot from when things are, are difficult. Yeah, it's also like, it's a, you can see there is a little bit of a, of hypocrisy here just because we all uh, in Europe uh, now say that we should celebrate the failure, we shouldn't hide it, we should talk about it, we should be more open, more transparent. But but when something like this happens, we only learn about it when the things are getting better or when everything is lost and the company has gone under. Right. And, and sometimes you see this failure being celebrated only when the failure actually turns out to be a win. Um, and you kind of see a touch of that with this case. We didn't really know how bad things were. We just have to take their word for it. But they were able to turn it around and it, it turns it into more of kind of a hero, um, heroic story than anything else. It's It kind of speaks to this evolution about they're becoming more comfortable sharing sharing failure. And it's important to be more open about it. Yeah, I also understand that it would have been really, really hard to the founding team to actually talk about it openly, and particularly with the media, uh, while uh, shit was actually hitting the fan. So, it, the, I can't, I can't blame them for not uh, going open with that. That's that's not what I want to do for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's it's a great learning and great lessons for the ecosystem um, and Lithuania especially. And something that really, wherever you are, you can take something away from from this story. Okay, moving on. This uh, this has been uh, the most interesting news uh, from the past week. And uh, next thing we're going to move on right now is a few announcements of the events uh, coming up uh, this week and a bit further in the future. Right. So the event calendar is very, very full. Um, September, it seems like it started off um, the event season. Um, Andre, you're you're at an event right now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the European Innovators? Yes. So uh, EIC Pilots Event, so European Innovators Summit. Uh, this is basically an event uh, held uh, by the European Innovation Council pilot and essentially this is a gathering of people who have something to do uh, with the programs that the European uh, Commission 
uh, has uh, for entrepreneurs and for researchers, so basically the grants. Uh, whom you can see here is mostly either people who have received uh, the, those grants, uh, both entrepreneurs and uh, researcher, uh, together with uh, mentors from the program and the representatives uh, from the uh, from the European Commission who talk about the future of the programs and of the whole initiative. I have uh, I planned uh, already a couple of really interesting interviews for tomorrow, uh, so you can look forward to our next uh, podcast episodes for some really interesting news and announcements. Uh, Coming from, uh, coming from the European Commission, and uh, uh, that would be really interesting and relevant uh, for all entrepreneurs in the region. And while we are on, uh, on the European Commission thing, by the way, uh, there is another event uh, tied to the European Commission called the Next Generation Internet Forum that will happen in uh, Porto, uh, Portugal, uh, on September 13. This is a one-day event uh, that is connected to the Next Generation Internet Initiative, and that one will be all about... Uh, discussing how to fix the internet and uh, how to make it uh, more future-proof. And that goes both for hardware or architectural uh, solutions all the way to ethics and uh, social interaction uh, on the web. So if you happen to be uh, around there, uh, secure your free ticket and uh, I definitely think you should you should check it out. Well, I mean, they set themselves up for um, one day to fix the internet, but it sounds like a really great event, definitely. Well, and one week on from when this podcast goes live on September the 19th, uh, Tech EU founding editor Robin Vouchers will be at this Zero to 100 conference in Berlin. And this event is all about venture capital and private equity. So if it's something that you are interested in or you're looking to raise some investment um, and you want to check it out, tech.eu subscribers can get a discount using the code BE18TECH. And if you want to find that on our website, uh, you can check under the event section and find out all the details. And there are a few other things um, that you might want to put in your calendar coming up. At the end of the month, Robin will also be in Antwerp, Belgium at a really cool conference. It's called the Supernova Conference. Um, have you heard of this, Andre? I think the name rings the bell, but I'm not sure what exactly it is. What's, uh, what's cool about it? Well, so they're really bringing a, a very wide variety of great thought leaders, um, academics, scholars, artists, entrepreneurs um, from really all around the world. So um, besides our Robin vouchers, uh, there's a lot of interesting people there, including Biz Stone, Vivian Ming, Tim Hartford, Nir Oxman. Um, so if you can make it to Antwerp, um, it sounds like a great event and that takes place on the 27th and 28th of September. So see if you can make some room in your calendar um, for that one. And if there's anything that we've missed um, from on our calendar, you can let us know. And there is a link um, in the show notes to a Typeform page, and you can share with us any events that are on your calendar. And we will try to add those um, and, and share those in the podcast. Um, in my personal calendar, I'm looking forward to joining um, Copenhagen's tech ecosystem at Tech Barbecue um, coming up later this month. Um, but more importantly, on Friday, I'm heading to Glasgow for the SQL Data Science Conference. So fellow data nerds, I will see you there. That sounds pretty serious. It's also, it sounds, sounds like a lot of contrast, tech barbecue on one side and then some serious uh, SQL data nerd conference uh, on the other. I, I'm a very binary person. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it suits me quite well, I think. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm also going to have a pretty interesting end of month. I think uh, I will be home in Amsterdam uh, where we are uh, having a thing called Amsterdam Capital Week. And this is not one event, uh, but a series of uh, uh, smaller scale uh, events that uh, happen all uh, over the city. And it's going to be all about entrepreneurs, all about investors, and all about connecting the two. Uh, one of the particular events 
Thomas, I would like to talk a bit more about is Angel Island. This is a very particular format of an event in which a group of uh, a few hundred entrepreneurs and investors go to an actual island uh, not too far from Amsterdam and spend the day together talking, uh, but not pitching. Pitching is not allowed. But uh, you can just talk, uh, you can be a human being, and you can make uh, meaningful connections during the day. It's going to be my second or third time at uh, Angel Island, and I am really, really looking forward to it. So if you are around there, uh, please come uh, and say hi, and let's talk like human beings. Oh, that sounds great. Now, let's move to our next uh, section, and that is the recommendations of something you can look at listen to or read? Yeah, so the one thing that I wanted to share with you this week is uh, something that I just can't stop listening to. And it's a new album that has recently been released by the Luxembourg-based AI composer, Ava Technology. So Ava is an AI composer, which it's it's a really cool um, technology that um, up to now usually created kind of cinematic scores. So kind of like music that you hear in the background of films. Um, but they've since expanded to different types of music. And um, now they've got started doing different sorts of world music. And they've just released a new album based on traditional Chinese sounds and instruments. And the, the score is created jointly by a human artist, but also um, with an internal AI composer. So the music is just so super relaxing and really great to listen to. Excellent background music for, for when, you're, when you're working. Um, and you can actually hear it playing in the background now. And the specific track that, that you're hearing a sample from is called Human Society, which I really think is great because it's music that was largely created by a machine. Um, but it, it's something that is such a cool application that it combines both the creativity of the artist with the machine technology of AI. Um, and they both come together in such a beautiful way. So the album is freely available on all major streaming platforms, and we'll link to it for you in the show notes. And there you can see some of the other stuff that they've done. I, I was introduced to this company um, at Pioneers in Vienna this summer, uh, where they actually composed a special musical number for the conference, which was so great and was a really memorable part of my experience there and a huge highlight. So you can also find that on their SoundCloud page, which you can check in the show notes. Yeah, this one actually sounds great. Uh, and uh, I indeed uh, listen to uh, film scores a lot when I'm working. So I guess I will definitely add this to my, uh, to my playlist. Do you have your favorite uh, uh, film scores that you listen to? Well, I think the Gladiator soundtrack is a real classic. Um, and you can really do the whole range of your workday listening to that. Um, but I definitely think Iva has some great, lots of great sounds to listen to. And I have been putting those um, on quite frequently. They have a great program that uh, has the, uh, a full orchestra playing the music created by the computer. Um, and you can see that on YouTube. It's super cool. Yeah, what what I'm usually listening to would be soundtracks. For some reason, soundtracks from the from the series, uh, from Westworld, uh, from Game of Thrones, of course, and from Black Sails. These are, I think, my top three actually. Uh, music for work, absolutely great. So, time for my recommendation, and uh, I'm not going to recommend anything to listen to, but uh, I do have some reading. Uh, to talk about and the reading is newsletters so i have only three newsletters that i always read every time i get a new issue in my inbox one of uh, them of course is uh, tag.eu which you all know and hopefully all read as well and two others are the daily ones uh, called big revolution and recharged both of them are great reads and both of them are done by uh, people who used to at some point uh, work at uh, the next web, uh, where I also uh, where I also used to be a freelancer. So 
Big Revolution, uh, compiled by Martin Bryant, the former editor-in-chief of The Next Web and uh, Recharged, uh, done by Owen Williams, uh, who lives in Amsterdam. So they offer pretty different uh, opinions and views on some of the most important news and events. Uh, that's uh, both in Europe and worldwide. But I think they are equally interesting to read and uh, equally worth uh, your attention. Uh, Recharged is... Uh, a paid uh, newsletter. It costs uh, 8 euros a month or 80 euros a year. Uh, Big Revolution is free, but you can support it with uh, uh, $5 per month, which I am actually doing gladly. And I think this is definitely a great example of content worth paying for. And this is also the only uh, the only content subscription I have in terms of in terms of reading. I will put both links uh, to the show notes. And uh, I do encourage you to go check it out and try it, uh, try it for yourself if you are struggling, uh, keeping up with uh, all the news stories uh, happening around us. So this is it for our today's podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Please don't miss our new episodes, which will be coming every Wednesday. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Just look for tech.eu podcast and we will definitely be there. Tell your friends, tell your enemies and follow our updates. We are on Twitter at tech underscore EU and on Facebook. Please let us know how we did. Feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at andre at tech.eu you enjoy the rest of your week talk to you next wednesday natalie thanks a lot for joining today and uh, talk to you soon bye bye bye